As we come to God's Word this morning, let's just ask Him to take the words from this book, which are His breathed out words to us, and to really make them alive in our hearts. So that he, challenge, he challenges our lifestyles before Him. When God's Word is applied to our lives and it changes our lives, that's when the Spirit is working in us. And so let's just come before Him and ask for that miracle of grace to happen right now. Yes, Lord, indeed we come with humble hearts before You this morning. We know that if You left us on our own, we would run to our own destructions. But by your grace and your grace alone, you have saved us. You've given us new hearts. But Lord, help us in our struggles with our old natures. Because before we can find ourselves, we've gone back to our default settings. And so we need to come before you so often and ask for forgiveness from our sins, but once again your grace works. And we've just been remembering your table and the way you died for us on that cross, the way, Jesus, you shed your blood for us so that we could have forgiveness for sin, so that our sins could be taken away completely. Help us now in our human weakness. Open your words to our souls and make us Put ourselves under your word. Give us soft hearts as your spirit does your work in us. Be merciful to us, we pray. Amen. Well, men, um, it's your day today. Not really. Uh, we've been going through Proverbs. If you're a visitor here, we've been going through the book of Proverbs. Um, it has a lot to say to young men, and uh, we've got various ages of men here. Uh, but it doesn't just have to do with the age of men. It has to do with men and women and our characters before the Lord. And so last week we got together and we looked at uh, what does it look like to be wise men and wise women before the Lord and some examples of wise and unwise women and men. And this morning uh, I'm going to do looking at the Proverbs man. What does it look like to be a man of God? And then next week, Lord willing, if the Lord hasn't come yet, we're going to look at what does it look like to be a woman of God. And so we'll all get our turns. But I don't want you to see this as a, oh dear, what's he going to say next? What haven't I done again? All right, It's not that type of thing, and I'll come to that soon. Let's see what God's Word says to us. What are, what are those standards He calls us to? And so the verse that really came to mind uh, from the book of Proverbs, is Proverbs 27, verse 19. Look carefully at this verse. Proverbs 27, verse 19. As in water, face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects the man. Now, it looks kind of simple on the surface of it. If you've ever been walking in a nice mountain area, you come to a beautiful, clear pool of water, you just put your head in and, what's that monster? I oh, know that's me. Um... There's your reflection in that pool, right? So you are the real person and when you look into the water, there's this reflection back at you. It's not the real thing. It reflects the real thing. But now look carefully at the second part of that verse. As, water fa as in water face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects the man. We would think it's what I do reflects who my, what my heart is. No, it's the other way around. It's subtle, but it's there. What your heart is comes out in your life. So your life shows what your heart is. Your life reflects what your heart is. And as men, as we look at these verses today, and all of us, because they are general characteristics of what it is to be a believer before the Lord, those things that we do every day show where our hearts are. That's the reality, your heart. What you do shows what's happening inside. And so we really need to be looking at what God's Word says. And so 
Here's a verse from 1 John. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 to 3. Here's the hope, and I'm starting with the hope. Dear friends, we are already God's children. Fact. So whether you sin a lot or not, if you're a believer, remind yourself of this. You are already a child of God. You don't have to do things in your life to become a child of God. If Christ has saved you, you are already a child of God. Remember that. Satan will try to say otherwise. He'll try to bring doubts. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but He has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. That's our hope, alright? We're going to be changed into something amazing to be like Christ when He appears. The verse carries on. But we do know that we will be like Him. Fact. Wow. So there's hope for us. Whether the shortcomings that come across our lives, we know that one day I will be like Christ. There's my hope. It's going to get better. Why? For we will see Him as He really is. And here's our hope. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure, just as He is pure. You see, when we know what the end goal is, then our motivation is to try and live lives which please God. And so that's the tone around what we are saying here today. It's a call to holiness. There are two ways to approach this topic. There's a wrong way and a right way. The wrong way is, it's a checklist. And so what we do is we say, this is what God's people look like, a man of God. And we list them and then I tick off my life against that. And what do I do when I do that? I become depressed and I become, this is all too big for me. I can't handle this. There's so much I've still got to change. That's checklist. And it's not what God's Word's about. God's Word puts before us His call to holiness. This is what a child of God, a man of God should look like. I will help you to become like this. And then it lists what it looks like. We need to know what it looks like. Do you see the difference? The one is very judgmental. The other one calls us up to a higher thing. And so see what we're doing today in that light as well. You see, we know we can't reach God's standards on our own, but with the help of the Holy Spirit in us, we can. Because the Spirit changes us to be like Christ. And He gradually changes us to be like Christ. Wives, you've been married to your husbands for a while. You'll, you'll have hopefully noticed a change in them. Hopefully for the better. And yes, they might always leave their underclothes lying around the place. That might never change till the day they die. But, but look wider. God's grace and His constant forgiveness that we find in His Son, Jesus Christ, will help us to become men who honor God through our lives. Men who look more and more like the reflection of Jesus Christ, which will become the reality of being like so let's look at some of these characteristics. And <clears throat> again, we've only got so much time this morning, there's no way I can dig into everything around these verses. So I'm going to be calling out the characteristic. We're going to look at a Bible verse, and that's where you come in. I've spread around Bible verses here, and that's so that I can check who's sleeping. Because when I call your verse, you better read it. Otherwise, we're all going to look there. All right, now. Let's look at the first one. <clears throat> First characteristic of a godly man. A godly man fears God first before he fears people. Proverbs 29.25. Here's the first test. Nice and loudly. Fearing people is a dangerous trap. But fearing God first brings safety. You see, when people are big and God is small, then you can't even speak about your faith. Because what will the people think about me? They might think I'm weird. But if you fear God first, and that fear, by the way, is a good fear. It's a holy respect for who God is and His awesomeness and what He's done for us in our lives. When God is big in our lives and people are smaller... That means I don't fear people and I can be fearless. And I can love them overwhelmingly 
Because I'm not worried about what they think. Secondly, a godly man is obedient to God's word. And I spoke about this last time. There's no compromise in a godly man. If God's word says this, that is the way I want to live. I'm not going to make excuses. I'm not going to find where is that ragged edge of where will I obey God and when won't I. I don't want to run on that line. I want to clearly obey God. No compromise. And the verses I've got are Proverbs 16.20. Yes. And Proverbs 14.26. Just take note of this verse. I'm going to repeat that. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. When you have this respect for who God is, His reverence, you have strong confidence in that. And, that's not all, and His children will have a refuge. Interesting. You see, in our lives, when we fear the Lord as men before the Lord, we set that tone in our home with our wives. That makes our homes a refuge for our children because they learn the respect for God too. But when we're flippant about our faith, they learn flippancy before the Lord. Interesting that that comes into those verses. I wish we could stay, but we have to move on. Thirdly, a godly man or husband treasures his wife. Are you listening, wives? This is where you can remind your husband this afternoon, lunchtime. The godly man treasures his wife. You see, Proverbs 31, and you all know, everyone seems to think that's the chapter for women in the Bible. It's not actually, it's for men. It describes what the godly woman looks like. Proverbs 31 is not just for women. It also describes the attitude of a man towards woman and his wife. Proverbs 31.10 says, an excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. Are you listening, ladies? You see, the Proverbs man in Proverbs 31 is actually in a sense, now listen carefully to what I'm saying now. He's comparing his wife to other women like he'd compare her to exotic gemstones, but he discovers the same result every time. What? She's amazing. When I... When I compare, she's amazing. Proverbs 31.29 says, you surpass them all. You see, when he sees his wife's, and here's a whole new word, when he sees his wife's amazingness, clearly, he sees her as God sees her. God formed the woman, and what he created was good. She's amazing. And we need to see our wives, and we need to see women as amazing before the Lord. Not objects to be done all kinds of things with these days. She's precious. And the wise, the wise husband never demeans his wife. He never puts her down. He never makes her the butt of a joke. You know, with the lads. You know what the wife said again today. She's far too precious for a cheap life. Men, if that's what you've been doing, ask the Lord for forgiveness. Fourthly, a godly man is not a jealous man. You know that green-eyed monster? When someone just looks at your wife, it's good and bad. If you love your wife dearly, you don't want others admiring your wife in that same way. Because she's your wife. She's the one you love. But, be careful. Love your wife, and then you will be confident that she will have eyes only for you. If your wife knows she's loved by you, why would she give attention to anyone else looking at her? Because you love her. That's how love works. It absorbs us in that way. There's a lot here. Alright, I'm stepping on. Fifthly, a godly man is faithful in his relationship. 
He's a one-woman man. Only. And yes, there might be other specimens out there much prettier than your wife, but you're a one-woman man. God has linked you to that woman. She is precious in your eyes. And so you are faithful to her in that relationship. And that means in your mind as well. That means when you're sitting in front of that computer and those images come before you, and some of them come in when you're least expecting them, stay faithful to the one that you love. Even in virtual life. She must know she can depend on that faithfulness of yours. And there are two verses that are really interesting here. That, the one is Proverbs 29 verse 3. So whether you spend your money on real prostitutes or virtual prostitutes, you are squandering your life before the Lord. Young lads, I hope you're listening to this. When you spend time on the internet on sites you shouldn't be on, you might not be spending money, but you're damaging your relationship before the Lord. Proverbs 25 verse 19. Alright, think about this. Interesting verses you find in Proverbs, isn't it? I mean, who wants a toothache? You, you've got your week planned, and then suddenly, and you've got to go see a dentist. Only dentists want you with a toothache. Alright? But it's just not convenient. I've got to rearrange my schedule. I've got to, it costs me an arm and a leg. And you're busy walking along a tramping track, and suddenly your foot slips. Who wants that? There's a bit of a precipice here. Alright, it's not convenient. We want to trust what we do. And the same with you and your relationship with your wife. She wants to know she can trust you to be faithful to her. Men? Sixthly, a godly man is forgiving. Proverbs 19.11 Men, are you slow to anger? We're getting uncomfortable now. It's your glory to overlook an offense. Yes, your wife's not perfect, as you would have discovered. And if you look in the mirror, you'll find out you're not perfect either. Ask your children. But, how quickly are you to hold on to every single thing she does? And to remind her of that. It's your glory to overlook an offense. To be slow with that anger. That's what scripture says. To be forgiving when she does something wrong. When your children do something wrong and don't quite get at your standards. Forgive. Be slow to hold a grudge. Seventhly, a godly man is humble. Proverbs 15.25 says this. Proverbs 15:25 The Lord tears down the house of the proud but maintains the widow's boundaries. Now in the old days they used to have marker pegs. We still have in our boundaries. And you can't go it's illegal to move those boundary pegs even though you want a little bit more place in your yard. You can't do it. And in the old days um, the widow she had no one to protect her at all if her husband had died. And so what they'd often do is move the boundary pegs on her land and suddenly she had hardly any land and who was going to protect her? So the Lord says, the Lord tears down the house, the fully built house of the proud, but he maintains the widow's boundary pegs. So the Lord is involved here. What does the Lord do? The man who is humble, the Lord will uphold him. But the one who is proud, the Lord will tear down, right down to the boundary pegs. Because he will protect the boundary pegs of your wife and her relationship before him. 
And so we need to really ask ourselves, are we humble as men? There's a verse, uh, Proverbs 29:23. Who's got that one? He who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. What does it mean to be lowly in spirit? Men, it means that there are things which are not beneath you to do. Yes, when the toilets needs cleaning and when you need to sweep out and when you see a job that needs doing, don't wait for your wife to do it. Don't ask your children to go and sweep up the dog do's. You do it. There should be nothing which is beneath us, even those dirty jobs. We need to get into them. You know, the very phrase, stuff is beneath me, says a lot. I'm up here. The jobs are down there. Someone else will do them. There's so much to be said. Verse uh, 83. A godly man exercises self-control. 16.32. He who rules his spirit. You see, the problem with us is we've got such short wicks that our spirits rule us. Do you rule your spirit? Who's in charge? How's that temper? Proverbs 29 verse 11. A wise man quietly holds back. The Lord had to speak to me quite a lot here this week as well. You see, a gentle tongue is what the Lord is looking for in a godly man. A gentle tongue. Proverbs 12.18 When we get into arguments with our partners, our wives, our children, sometimes our, our words can be sword thrusts. It doesn't look like it on the surface, but they wound. And your wife will go and think on those words. And sadly, many times one wishes you could take those words back, but they've been said. And so we need to go and ask for forgiveness. We need to bring that gentle word in again and fix those wounds where they can be fixed. You see, a godly man's not contentious. You don't go around finding fault with everything, like a bull in a china shop. A godly man is a peacemaker, Proverbs 17.1. dry morsel with quiet than a sorry Eddie say that again a house full of feasting you might have everything in the world and be the party central but if there's contention in the house it's the opposite of what the Lord wants it's a bit like the Irishman who crawled up on the coast. He had been shipwrecked. He didn't know where he was. And the first words when he was discovered is, if there's a government here, I'm against it. Sometimes we can be like that as men. We can be like a, a bear with toothache. Tell me, do your children run away when you come home? Do they go and do their own thing in their rooms? Because dad's home. can be like that. Everyone has to walk on eggshells for you. We can be like that. Let's be honest before the Lord is men. Ninthly, a godly man is willing to be corrected by his wife, yes, and by a good friend. We look, looked at that last week. A godly man listens to counsel. Proverbs 12.15 Are you able to listen to advice men? Or maybe you're too proud. Proverbs 29 verse 1. See, the Bible says if we can't listen to reproof, if we can't listen to wise counsel, then we've got stiff necks. And a stiff neck gets suddenly broken. Because the Lord will do that breaking. He will not allow us to carry on like that if we are His children. And so we need to take 
note of these. Am I too proud? Is the only voice I'm allowed to listen to my own voice? Tenthly, a godly man is kind and compassionate. He's got a concern for others, especially those in need, the poor and the oppressed. Scripture teaches often about this. Proverbs 31 verse 8 to 9. You know, in our own society now, we're going through a time when we need to be opening our mouths for the mute. Think of the abortion rights law that's currently being considered. We've got parliamentarians crying in parliament, and yet through the tears they can't see what's happening. We need to be standing up and speaking out for the mute. Those who can't speak for themselves. The powerless. How powerless is a little baby in the womb. Whatever might have happened, and yes, there are circumstances, I know. But where are we standing up for those who are powerless? Your children, do you stand up for, their, for them when you need to stand up? Or do you just think they'll get over it? You know, many children have been scarred because they've been misused in some other way by bullies, whatever it is at school, and Dad hasn't stood up for me. And I won't forget it. Do we stand up? When someone slights my family or my wife, do I stand up to that? And I don't mean you need to go and dong him, as we say in Wanganui. But do you stand up? Do you confront these issues? Or she'll be right. Don't worry. We need to speak up for these things. There's a right and a wrong way. A gentle word turns away wrath too. Scripture says that. But do we actually stand up for these things or we just turn our backs and ignore? Scripture speaks about them. A godly man is generous. And that means doesn't mean just with money. It means with service too. Do you put yourself out there, not just for your family, for going to the kids' games, for making time to be with them, to do stuff with your wife, to go to the movies? Are you generous in your time? Or are you generous in your time in the community or doing things for whatever, lots of volunteer organizations? Do you put your time, do you give your time, or is it all about you using your time for yourself? We become very egocentric real quickly. Eleventh, a godly man is truthful. Listen to these words from Proverbs 20. And the Lord speaks about this. Proverbs 20, verse 17. Bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterwards his mouth will be full of gravel. That means loose stones. Bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man. So in the moment you've, de- you've deceived someone and you've got something and yes, I've got it. It's sweet to you in that moment, but, says the Bible, it will turn to gravel in your mouth. What does that mean? How honest are you in your, not just your words, but your dealings with people around you? You know, we're living in a time in Wanganui where there's so much building happening that you just cannot find tradies for love or money, literally. And so you ask for people to come and you have to wait. I was asking for, I better not say, I was asking for a big job to get done on my place. And they said they can only come in nine months. No one came to see what I wanted and the next thing I got was a quote for for lots of money, for something I didn't really want done. And so I phoned them and I said, what's happening? Well, take it or leave it. That's all we're going to do. You see, as believers, as men, and many of you are in the working lives as well, if you're in a situation where you can charge an honest price for something and tell people the truth, that's what God is calling you to. But... If you're in a climate where everyone else is charging whatever they like and take it or leave it, the Lord has something to say about that. We need to think about that thing. That's the practical application of these words. Are you truthful before the Lord? Are you truthful to society around you? Because the Lord detests dishonesty. Proverbs 20 verse 17. Oh, sorry, next one. Proverbs 20 verse 10. Listen to this. This is real strong language. 
unequal weights and unequal measures are both like an abomination to the Lord. Now that's a real strong word. That is the word that the, the, word also, that the Lord also uses in the book of Revelation when He's describing the Antichrist. An abomination of an abomination before Him. It's the same word. Do you see how strongly the word sees unequal weights? We need to be truthful before the Lord because He takes it seriously. Twelfthly, a godly man is a man of integrity. Proverbs 19.1 Better is a poor person who walks in his integrity than one who is crooked in speech and a fool. And Proverbs 20 verse 7 please. Take note of this verse. Very interesting too. If you're a man of integrity, and a woman of integrity by the way, yes it applies to you now in the way that you do your work, but it also applies to you in the way that society sees you. You know in a small town like Wanganui, you quickly get a reputation. And it sticks. And unfortunately it doesn't just stick to you, it sticks to who comes after you. You've all heard the phrase, his father was a drunk. And there's kind of a slur on the children then. That's what this verse is talking about. It says if you're a man who is a man of integrity, that means your life before God. It also means your children in the eyes of the community will be seen by the way you are seen. What is the legacy you are leaving for your children? What is the reputation you are leaving behind in this community for your children? Will society say... He was a good man. You guys were lucky. That's what they say. Is that, the, is that the legacy we're leaving behind for our kids? Men, this is, this is the stuff which touches our lives. And then second lastly on this list, a godly man is hard working. Proverbs 12 verse 11. Alright, I'm going to read that nice and loudly here. Thanks. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread. You're going to say, well, I've only got a little block of my house. Well, that's not what it's saying. Whoever works his land, whatever work you've got before you, will have plenty of bread. Because the Lord will provide for you. But he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Man alive, there are so many worthless pursuits that surround us now. And that come your way and that they want you to buy on buy now or whatever they call there's so many things that can distract us. Do we follow these things? Or do we work hard for the Lord? In everything we do. Do you keep track of what the Lord has given you in your home? The provisions He's given you. Do you keep track of those things? Do you work hard at the opportunities the Lord brings your way? Are you slovenly in the way you handle the things God has given to you? Are you a person of order with God, what God has given you? You see, it reflects your attitude towards what God gives you and the opportunities He has. And then lastly, fourteenth, uh, 14 point sermons, not bad. A godly man is a man who avoids excesses. And here we have Proverbs 20 verse 1. Thank you, Don. Very well read there. Thanks. Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Now, am I going to have a whole railing here against wine? No, I'm not. Does the Bible say wine is wrong to drink? No, I don't believe it does. It says the excess of these things. Anything to excess is a sin before the Lord. But it particularly warns us against the dangers of drinking too much wine. And there's a really, it's actually quite a funny description, so I'm going to read it here. Um, Proverbs 23, verse 29 to 35. Listen to this. If you've had too much to drink, this is what it's like. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? 
those who tarry long over wine, those who go to try mixed wine, do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart utter perverse things. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of a mast. That's what you'll feel like. They struck me, you will say. This is the bold one coming out of wine, okay? They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I wake? I must have another drink. It's quite humorous, but it's sad. And there are many and many, many in our generation now in New Zealand who live for the binge. We're known as a, we've got a binge drinking culture. Well, how much are we sucked into that culture of excess? How much? Men, work parties. The boss says, come on, stay for a quick one afterwards. Well, yeah, okay, stay for a quick one, but just no temperance. Be there among your non-Christian friends and colleagues. Be the Christian. But no excess, says the Lord. There's more there. I can't go there anymore. Alright, just fourthly, there are four, four points I just want to cover very shortly with you. And this is my, my um, so what of what we've been looking at in Proverbs for men. What are some of the lies you and I as men believe? And what is the truth that sets us free? And there's a really good book that I want to recommend. And I don't often do this here, but men, each of you should order one of these. And wives, if a man doesn't want to order you one of these, just get him one. And give it to him as his next birthday present. Okay? It's an investment in him. It's called Lies Men Believe and the Truth That Sets Them Free. And it speaks about all those nitty gritty little details that men think are innocent. This is a really valuable book. Woman, um, some of you in your group have studied the opposite book which I'll speak about next week. Lies Women Believe and the truth that sets them free. Again, those of you who have studied it will find that it's a really practical book. And I'm going to give you one quote from this book um, in, a, in, a, in a minute. But here's the first lie. And there are many lies that we as men believe, but here's what. God isn't concerned with all the little details of my life. It's called compartmentalization. I put my life into little compartments. This bit's for God, this bit's for me. My wife can know about these bits. My kids, this is theirs compartmentalization. You see, sometimes we divide our lives into large moments and less significant moments. The large moments are when I got my first car, when I saw that amazing girl for the first time, we got married. Um, uh, what a big moment. My conversion is a big moment. And then I've got the less important moments, those ordinary things, the daily get up, make the coffee, the, the normal stuff, brush my teeth, go to work, Come back, do the lawns, work every day, some stuff with my kids on Saturdays. Little things, right? Well, God doesn't work that way. When God gave us a great commandment, He said, you must, we must love Him with all our heart, mind, soul and strength. He was telling us that He wants all of me, all my moments. Now listen to me, if this is all you hear in this section, listen to this. God's bigness isn't the kind of bigness that overlooks smallness. Rather, it's a bigness that encompasses smallness. I love that. It challenged me this, this week. I'll repeat that. God's bigness isn't the kind of bigness that overlooks smallness. Rather, it's a bigness that encompasses smallness. God wants all of us, all our moments. You see, he doesn't just look after the big stuff and subcontract the small stuff to the angels. I say that reverently. He's concerned for all our lives. How big is God? How all-knowing is God? How powerful is God? His control is absolute. He knows everything. Why would he suddenly not know that little bit I'm doing? God wants to know all about us. We must live constantly before the face of God. And I brought this before to you. It's that Latin phrase, Coram Deo. We must live before the face of God all the time. Everything I do, God is there and He can see it. Little moments, the big moments. 
And everything we do, therefore, has to be significant before the Lord. Even those little things. Alright, that's the first lie, men. Everything matters to the Lord. Secondly, what my wife doesn't know won't hurt her. I've heard that from plenty of men. I've even thought that at times. You see, Proverbs 4.23 says this. It says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. I want to give an example of this, very practical, from the book. And I'm going to quote straight. I'm reading it. Many years ago, this, the writer gives an example. He says, Many years ago, I had a close friend who made a bad decision to hang around at a hotel bar and stay there until late into the night after a conference. This man had never been unfaithful to his wife. But after a few extra drinks, he began a conversation with a woman that continued into the early hours of the next morning. Before going to their separate rooms, they exchanged cell numbers. When he returned home from the trip, my friend told me about the woman. Well, nothing happened, he said, cautiously defending himself. But we did share phone numbers, he added. I remembered this conversation as though it happened last week. My friend and I were in his office. He was behind his desk. I was standing in front of him and I spoke him, to him as lovingly and as directly as I could. And I said, guard your heart. Guard your heart. It's not because nothing happened. Guard your heart. Now, should your wife know about that? Because what she doesn't know won't hurt her. Well, you see, the truth is this. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, in the context of that passage, he's speaking about being healed from sickness. But you see, sins are sickness too. And just where the thoughts were, there's sickness. Now, should I tell my wife about that? I believe as men we should be that honest before this friend of mine who's my best friend. And yes, it could stir up all kinds of stuff for you. But rather let your wife pray for you and know that you didn't go that extra step and know where your weakness is and pray for you and put her arms around you and love you. Then what you, that remains unconfessed before her. That's a hard one. The third one is this. And I've heard this from plenty of men as well. Surely there's more to life than this. I've been married. I've got my kids. I've got a job. I've got the house. I've got the boats, toys, everything. Is that it? Where's the excitement? There's more. I only live once. Listen to this. This is a real interesting verse. It's a bit humorous too, but listen to this. Proverbs 30, verses 15 to 16. Proverbs 30, verses 15 to 16. Listen to what it says. The leech has two daughters. Give and give, they cry. Can you imagine that now? Two leeches there. And all they want is just give us more. More blood. We want it. Okay, you get the picture. Three things are never satisfied. Four, never say enough. Hell. Hell will always want more people. A barren woman always wants the children. The land is never satisfied with water. It will always suck up water when it's dry. And fire never says enough. Well, you know, in our attitudes as men, we can be like those two leeches. It's never enough. I always want more. There's always something out there I'm missing out on. What's that called? starts with a D. Discontentment with my lot. And that's where excitement of affairs starts. Because you think it might be a bit better out there. And so that's where self-gratification starts. That's where buying more and more stuff, which you think are going to make you happy, starts. That's where never being at home starts. And so, men, if you find... Now, please listen to my whole sentence here. Men, if you find yourself tinkering in the garage, 
If you find yourself fiddling with your hobbies, if you find yourself hanging out with the guys, if you find yourself working late into the night, here's the crucial phrase, rather than being with your wife or with your family, then you need to look at your heart. Because you have taken in this lie. You see, we try and fill our lives with these things. Because there's a space in our lives. And that space is called discontent. And before I carry on, because I know some of the men are going to meet me after the church. Yes, we do need space. Yes, we do need to do our own thing too. Yes, our wives need to give us space to tinker around and do some stuff. Even though we don't always know what we're doing in the shed. Yes, I need to be in my nothing box because it's nice in there sometimes. But not constantly. Be content with God's blessings in your life. Be content. Because those are things which are on this earth, but the values they contain, the, the, the treasure that, the God, that God gives you are things which pass on into eternity. That excellent wife he's given you is a gift from him. Why would I spurn that and look it in the mouth? The family he's given me, the time I can spend with them, why would I not want to spend that precious time? They're only with me for a while, and then they're gone. And then last lie, and with this I close. I don't have to lead our family. Now this is a whole sermon on its own, but I won't go there now. You see, in one word it's called capitulation. And there's so much of it around in our society now. You see, some men have never grown up. And men, I might be speaking a hard word to you a little bit now. Some of us have never grown up. We've reneged on our God-given responsibility to love our families, to serve our wives, to protect our families, to provide for our families by God's grace and for His glory. And instead we've become lazy. We've, we lack a sense of responsibility. Maybe we've become disobedient to God's instructions. And like Adam, we've stepped back when we should have stepped forward. When Satan tempted Eve, he was right there with Adam. Adam should have done something, but he allowed things to continue. We've stepped back from the leadership that God has asked us to do before Him, commanded us. And yes, the effects of the curse even come into play then. And yes, your wife will step forward when you don't take the leadership. Because someone's got to do something in the family. And the curse will also work in on your wife. She will want to rule over you. That's what Scripture teaches us, whether we like it or not. And so what happens in your family if you don't take up that responsibility? Your wife ends up with a children and a grown-up husband to mother. I see plenty of those around. Are you doing what you should be before the Lord? You see, 1 Corinthians 15:13 says this, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. And so men, I say lovingly to you, as lovingly as men can to each other, get a grip. I'm smiling. Get a grip, men. We understand language like this, right? Let's grow up. Let's love that wife that the Lord has given me. Let's love my family. Let's assume that God-given responsibility. Let, let's lead the family. And the second thing which is tied to this is that your role as leader isn't dependent on how much you earn, by the way. Just because your wife earns more than you doesn't mean you mustn't lead in the family. There are many of us who earn less than our wives. That's just the way work is. That's a blessing, isn't it? It's good income coming in. But that doesn't mean that we don't lead before the Lord. And so, in speaking to my wife... In discussion with this best friend of mine, the one I love and adore, who's precious to me, we discuss the family. But the Lord keeps me responsible before Him. I need to answer before Him. And we need to take up that responsibility. And when we do, when we take up that loving leadership in the home, in full discussion with our wives, when we serve our wife... In, in her role as co-leader with me, when she fears the Lord and recognizes what God wants from me, when we both fear the Lord, when we glorify Him, 
in working together in that home, then He is glorified. And our home is blessed. And Lord willing, I'll be looking at that next time. So men, let's take up that responsibility. I want to remind you where we started. We aren't yet what we are going to be. God is turning us into ones who reflect Jesus Christ. Right? We're not there yet. And so in the meantime, when you find yourself sinning, when you find yourself falling short of what God wants you to do, come to His Spirit. Ask Him to help you in your weakness. Because in your weakness, He is strong. When you recognize that and say, God, God, I can't. Help me to be the man you want me to be in my family. Help me, God, because I keep falling over. He will do that. His grace will sustain you. And if you come to the Lord Jesus Christ and ask Him, Lord, forgive me, I've messed up once again. My wife is crying tears in that bedroom once again because of me. Forgive me, Lord. Help me to be the man of God you want me to be. He will answer that prayer. And He will slowly, slowly, by increments, and without you hardly noticing it, He will change you to be like His Son. How do you change a ship's direction? Degree by degree. That's how the Lord does it with us. If you did it any faster than that, men, we wouldn't be able to handle it. And so let's come before Him. Let's allow God to do what He has promised to do in us. And let's recognize the Spirit's promptings when He needles us and tells us that our lives aren't right before Him. Let's give in to that and allow Him to change us. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, Your Word is so practical to us. There are so many things, Lord, when we read in Your Word, and if we read it in the wrong way, we're tempted to just get discouraged. But Lord, You've said that You will do it in our lives. If we hold on to You, if our relationship is right with Jesus Christ every day, if we submit ourselves to Him every day, if we are sensitive to what Your Spirit is doing in our lives every day, if we allow You to change our lives in that way, then You will make us to be like Your Son. You've promised that. And God, you don't break those promises because you're a God who is a promise-keeping God, a God who never changes. And so, Lord, thank you that we have this hope in you. And now, Lord, the prayer of all the men in this church is help us in our weakness and make us strong so that we can be men of God, wise men of God who serve you in our families, who love our wives, and who serve our communities to the glory of the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.